Welcome to the Audible Farm Podcast. This is the third episode and I am your host, Peter Stockdale. This week I traveled down to Perry, Iowa and visited with Ben Christopher who owns BRG Music in Perry and we discuss a few of his bands. We also discuss our mutual love for PV. We also discuss giving guitar lessons Uh, He's a busy man, and he's got a lot to talk about. I'm sure I'll have him on again in the future sometime. And, uh, yeah, so here we go. We're going to do it right now. This is episode three and Ben Christopher. It's the Audible Farm Podcast. With your host, Peter Stockdale. Hey Ben, how's it going? Not too bad, how you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, we're sitting down at BRG Music in Perry right now, and Ben Christopher owns the shop down here. He gives guitar lessons, he gives drum lessons. Uh, I've been here for just a little while today, and we've been talking before the podcast, and we were talking about guitar lessons and drum lessons, and uh, Ben gives both lessons uh, at the shop. And I was, we were talking about whether or not he played guitar or drums first so we were going to save this for the podcast so let's let's hear it guitar or drums first uh drums drums was my first passion all right so uh when did you start playing drums uh i'm gonna say fifth grade actually in so, band so you played in uh like in did you play snare drum or did you play like a trap kit or did you play like in the jazz band or what are we talking yeah about? i started like everyone else on the snare drum and then uh as it progressed i think by eighth grade i was playing the trap kit i didn't do the jazz band thing but in standard band they let me play the trap kit on a couple tunes I always feel like uh, the people that start out start out with the snare first are some of the more apt people to play the whole kit. I don't know if it has something to do with learning all of your rhythms on the snare first. And uh, yeah, yeah, I think it comes down to the the rudiments and stuff. Learning yeah. those and getting those down makes a big difference because that's your basic understanding of, of sticking and and all your patterns. And I mean, those are things you study mm-hmm. your entire life. You know, you never stop. So, at what point in time did you switch from playing the drums to playing the guitar i was in high school and i skipped school one day and uh my dad was a guitar player and he had a guitar sitting around and i taught myself to read tab and picked up the tab for the song one and learned the intro and i never looked back i quit playing drums really because i I couldn't afford a drum set i priced out this kick butt pearl kit you know double bass everything and i put the uh cost of cymbals into it and my little grocery store job just wouldn't cut. Yeah, it's it's that's definitely like the biggest uh, hurdle for a drummer. I would have to say. Why are there so many guitar players? Because you can buy a whole awesome guitar setup for two grand. I mean, or even a grand and a drum set. You'd be lucky to even get a grand on good cymbals. You know. Right. It got it got insane pretty quick. And even nowadays too, a kid starts out, they get you know a decent guitar for a couple hundred bucks, and they get a one of these modeling amps for like one hundred and thirty to two hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. It's killer. Yeah, you know? and you can make you can make any sound you want to just from your bedroom that way instead oh, of yeah. having instead of having to get three or four different amps, whole bunch of pedals. Yeah, you know, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, so so you start playing guitar. Did you ever play drums in any bands? No, no. I've done like a couple jams, mm-hmm. you know, for fun, but I've never actually like been a gigging drummer, so to speak. Yeah. Do you think playing the drums, playing the drums first? Do you think that helped you become a better guitar player? To- y- Absolutely, my uh, my right hand from mm-hmm. playing like eighth note beats on the hi hat for yep. so long. When it came time to do like the down picking and everything, it was pretty natural. You That's, know, it felt good. 
Yeah, I I just recently bought a drum set, and I'm trying to find uh, the best way to start, I guess. Like, you and I live quite a long ways away from one another, actually. Um, I live in northern Iowa, and his shop is in Perry. But what do you think would be, like, the best suggestion for somebody that's starting to learn the drums? Um, I mean, I, you always hear just practice rudiments, but what's, like, the best way to have fun while you're, while you're learning? Uh, learning songs is a big thing, you know, trying to pick those apart. You know, learn some basic rhythms, mm-hmm. you know, basic beats, and then try to expand them on, you know, on your own with uh, your imagination and stuff, too. That helps. But uh, that takes a little time, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, my current talent scope for the drums is pretty much uh, – ACDC and uh, not too much farther. So yeah, the Phil Red beat, boom, check, boom. Yeah. yeah, yep. So, so other than that, I'm I'm pretty much found myself stuck in a hole, and it's it's whatever. But I uh, I guess that's to anybody that wants to do the drum lesson thing. You can definitely stop down BRG Music and Perry. Um, so you start playing guitar. What kind of bands are we talking about here? What was your what was like the first band you joined? What kind of music did you play? Uh, you know, it was uh it was metal because I I was pretty hardcore into thrash metal since I started. Yeah. You know, I was before I, I played guitar I was like any other kid at the time, like Def Leopard and cheesy hair metal stuff. Oh yeah. Because yep. it was it was really big and then uh I got into Megadeth and that was like I saw him play on Arsenio Hall, they did Hangar eighteen. Nice. And middle middle of the tune when it changes tempos. Yep. Like was like mind blowing. Yeah, you know, I I I feel like that's a oddly fun parallel because I kind of did the same thing. I was first into like, I mean, I I get a lot of crap for it, but I was first into Warrant. That was like one of the first bands, and it's like Cherry Pie guys. Like you got to listen deeper into the into the Cherry Pie album. There's some hits in there, and people give me crap for it. But I mean, that was kind of my. You start going through the hair metal until you're like, I need something heavier than this hair metal. And ironically enough, Megadeth was the first thing that I that's listened funny. to. You know, you mentioned Cherry Pie. I always thought, uh. They did have some decently heavy stuff on there, like Uncle Tom's Cabin. Uncle Tom's Cabin is amazing. I thought that I, that was like my favorite track on the record when it, it came it's out. It's so good. Know? Actually, the tape. I'll say <laughs> that. So, yeah. Um, me and when I was in high school, a friend of mine, uh, it would have been the last active input show for anybody that's been listening to the podcast. But the very last active input show we ever ended up doing, we made an attempt to play Uncle Tom's Cabin, and it wasn't horrible, but it was it was an attempt to say the least. And we were all just like in high school, uh, right. trying to play play some songs. But you know, we we pulled it off and it worked out all right. But yeah, Uncle Tom's Cabin's awesome. Even like the album before that had uh, like Down Boys and like Thirty Two Pennies. That was what Dirty Rotten, Dirty Rotten, Rotten Filthy Stinking Rich. rich. Yep. Yeah, and that was even a pretty good album. But you start, I mean. The older you get, I feel like you maybe the teenage angst starts to set in, and you're like, "All right, I need something heavy." Yep, the testosterone goes up, the anger comes in. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yep. So, uh, did you play a bunch of covers, or did you pl- start making your own music right we, away? We, uh, well, really, and it's funny because the guy that I play with in Patient Zero now was like the first band I joined. He was the drummer. Oh, really? Like, we connected over like Randy Rhodes. You know, he's like, "You play that stuff?" I'm like, "Yeah, I love Randy Rhodes." So we're all about that, you know, and. uh we started just we mess with like holy wars and tunes like that you know mm-hmm. and metallica songs and slayer yep. and whatnot all the all the stuff and <clears throat> at the time i started getting more into like morbid angel and death and the yep. real heavy stuff you know because i really being you know a background in drumming death metal's where it's at you exactly know? yeah those uh weird maybe weirder time signatures or like the shift from what feels like one time is signature to another right plus uh, the just the sick double bass dude, playing yeah um i interviewed clint blumker first 
uh, first podcast, and he was talking about death. Um, to me, that was he was my first the conduit for me, I guess, to discover death. And he was uh, heavily obsessed with them when he first discovered them, and it's rightfully so. I mean, yeah, I think they're a great gateway band for anyone who isn't really a, a death metal person. Because yeah. the, for me, I got it was remember there's Columbia House years ago. Yeah, get like CDs. Yep, and I had a, a free CD coming. So on a whim, after reading a Guitar World article, I, I got Symbolic by Death. That's a great one, and that was like mind blowing. Because at the time, I was you know into the thrash and everything, and and Dream Theater was big, and I was into those guys and some more progressive stuff. And Death was like. It was Heavy like, like thrash and death metal, articulate like some of the prog stuff that was out. Yeah, the time. and it, I thought it was a really good kind of gateway drug. That's you know? pretty. That's pretty awesome. I, I I do. That's a really good analogy for them. It's it's almost exactly in between some of the prog bands and some of the heavier bands that everybody likes. So yeah. Um. So you you're in Patient Zero and what? Uh, like let's let's start out here. Patient Zero. You guys are Facebook, right? Yep. Do you have a Twitter? Yes, we do. Do you, is it active at all? It is active. We don't we don't post a lot unless we're doing shows and stuff. Right now we're in a rehearsal mode. We've kind of altered some things and mm-hmm. we're, we're getting ready for the next show in November. So it's quiet. I want to say uh, Three Finger Betty was going to play a show with Patient Zero maybe last um, New Year's Eve. You guys might have had a show booked. Yeah, but did. It For, was was that me. that night? It was super cold. It was Hull Avenue Tap. Yeah, uh, we that, played. Yeah, it was a it was a really odd night because I want to say that some of the bands got shuffled around um, like the week before the show. Yeah, so, so I lost like all um, semblance of who was going to be there because that happens sometimes at yeah, shows where does. like you get a poster and you show up and only one of those bands is actually there and you you start to think I don't want to call these guys by the wrong name, you know? Right. And and we're not. The types of bands that are going to hang giant flyers around, I guess. No, well, you, occasionally you hang flyers, but yeah. it's not like you know you you don't spend that money on you yeah. know, flyers all the time. Got to buy strings, you know. So so yeah, I, I so I actually have seen you play um, on a, a dark and cloudy New Year's Eve. Very night. cold yes. New Year's Eve night. Yeah. So so we actually have shared the stage together on on one occasion. Yeah. But uh, the first time you and I ever actually met each other was. Uh, I met you through your reverb shop online. I was hunting yep. for some uh, PV gear, and I found some that I wanted, and I, I saw it was slightly local to my area, so I, dr- I drove down here and, and talked to Brian face-to-face about ben, Sorry, Ben. I talked to Ben face-to-face about it. Uh, <laughs> the joke is I, I called him Brian earlier. Okay, yeah. so I, <laughs> so, uh, I talked, to, talked to Ben about it uh, here at the shop, and that's kind of how I got in contact with him, and I thought, you know, I'm going to keep Ben in my back pocket as somebody to throw on the podcast for this. Um, you are, you got the shop here. You're in Patient Zero. You also said you played guitars um, live with Transig. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's hear a little bit about Transig. Uh, what's the deal with that? Yeah, okay. This is, uh, Transig is Eric Trans' um, solo project. After he left uh, Green Death, he decided he was going to do an EP, and he basically, he did drums, bass, guitar, and just did the whole thing himself. Did it all. Okay. Yeah. Wrote, recorded it, all that. Um, and he, I, I met him, geez, 2002, 2001, something like that. Yeah. House of Bricks one night after a show, Donnie Steele and I were in there and Donnie introduced me to him. And it's, it's, it's ironic because all these years have passed and we never played together. And, uh, he hit me up last, last spring, early last spring about maybe playing with, uh, playing with him live. And, uh, he sent me over like 
the the little bit of the music and i as soon as it started i'm like i'm in this is cool you know this is really good yeah and we've been joking that why haven't we played together you know we met so many years ago and it's like we have the same background he's a year older than i am yeah same kind of music okay thrash metal all that stuff so. oh yeah if you're playing okay you play the guitars on the live when you when you guys would play live yeah. i guess okay yeah. what what does he play or does he just he sing? plays guitar he plays the guitar as yep. well it's it's when when he tracked it it he was thinking two guitar band you know all so right. there's rhythm guitars constantly and there's two-part harmonies and everything mm-hmm. else so there's a lot of layers there so i'm I'd never stop playing. Yeah. You know, the entire time I'm yep. busy unless there's a point where I just don't play. Yep. So it's constant motion. Uh, do you guys have any shows coming up for Transig? Yeah. Actually, yeah. November 2nd, um, we're playing. Um, I'm playing double duty that night. Patient Zero is going to open, and Transig's going to play, too. Dogs of Neptune will be there, and it'll be a pretty cool show at Lefties. At Lefties. Yes. That's uh, in Des Moines, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah Lefties yeah. in Des Moines. So. So that's uh you said November November second yep. November second yep. so mark your calendars for that one everybody that's uh sure to be a good show I actually do see a flyer for that hanging right behind us here at the shop because we are uh we are at BRG Music if I didn't mention that at the yes. beginning that'll this, be the first time I've seen God Crutch too so this will be a good show yeah it's always nice to see a, a new band play that you haven't before the best part about that is when you see a band and you're just like holy cow how have i never heard of these guys and you go on facebook you guys have been around for like four years yep and this is only iowa and there's only so many places you can play and how did you slip through my fingers somehow right there's uh i've ran into a handful of those uh and i've only been playing music live uh probably for like two years now uh around this area or even at all for the most part i kind of just took like a 10-year break but but yeah it's uh always great to see new bands so you got you got uh Playing with Transig, Patient Zero. You did mention you played uh, some country music, I believe. Uh, maybe like country and classic rock, something uh, in that vein. The band was uh, Dirt Road Divide. Yep, it's, uh, it's something I've been doing for a while. It, it it's a uh, you know it's it's fun to do, and we do a lot of different shows, and typically it pays pretty decent for what it is. You know, unlike your average metal show where you go out and make nothing you know yeah. i'll get you know someone pays me to play i like it you know obviously oh yeah totally you gotta have you gotta be able to pay the bills somehow yeah yeah and, and it, it's 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 always fun to play you so know? do you guys play any originals or is it mostly covers or oh there's a couple originals in there but i think we will go out and we'll play like a three to four hour show and oh, the dang. bulk of it like i'd say 97 to 98 percent is covers you know all right so so we got a we'll throw a little plug out there for a dirt road divide uh classic rock Maybe a little bit of country style stuff. You guys can feel like four hours plus. Yeah, that's that's uh, well worth a mention in the cover band scene because that's. I mean, everybody can start a cover band, but filling up four hours takes takes quite it, a bit. It does. Quite you a bit you of have grit. to build, you know, build a repertoire and then be able to on the fly recall exactly a lot of songs. You and, know, I mean, even if you're gonna, I even see cover bands do it with. Uh, the binder up front and i don't even mind that so much because even that it's still just like how do you even you had to organize this binder to find somebody who's like i want to hear night moves by bob seeger and you're like all right well uh flip 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 here it is everybody you got it yep sounds good you just do it like that takes quite a bit because you can't practice four hours worth of music every single week with the band no it, it, i mean yeah think about it if you just go through your set that's four hours burnt you know yeah and we a lot of times it's like you know we'll be on stage and it's something we've done before you know we'll just what key is that in you know we'll oh yeah it's, it goes like this and we'll kind of sing it to each other real quick and then nail it you know yep or try to nail it <laughs> yeah I mean four hours that's a long that's a long time to fill I mean I I would have to, I think the only time I ever came close to that we filled like an hour and a half we played at the Valor Ballroom for something and yep, yep. and it's 
That's intimidating. Yeah, it's, it's super. Well, you, intimidating. you take breaks. You know, yeah, you about a ten minute break every every little bit, forty five to fifty minutes. You mm-hmm. know, just but and if if the crowd calls for it, you, keep playing. Yeah, you know, that it, it does wear on your fingers. But I've always awesome. I always hear that from the cover band artists. Like if if people tell you to keep playing, it's usually just keep playing because if you stop, yeah. everyone's gonna either leave or do something else, and they lose interest. So. Yeah, then it gets better as the night goes too because they yep. they tend to get more cooperative as they drink more. Yes, so. <laughs> yes, you know. <laughs> So uh, you play plenty of guitars. You're in three bands. Uh, you also do guitar lessons down here at BRG. Oh, yeah. And that, you're, you're the head guitar man down here. Do you, yep. You're, you do all the lessons yourself here. Yep, everything, but I don't do the piano lessons. I'll let the brother may handle that. So. <laughs> so you do even have piano lessons available down here at the store for people that want to do piano. Yep, yep. So uh, that's that's pretty cool. What about bass? You do bass lessons here? I've done bass lessons. Yep. And uh, I just, they haven't been consistent. You know, it's it's bass is one of those instruments, ironically, you know. I think it's kick butt. Guys that play bass are awesome. Yep. But it seems like everybody wants to play guitar, you know. Yeah, I wonder what the deal with that is. And I, I mean, I've... I get it. Like uh, in the skill level aspect, I always used to say, like to play a bass guitar well, like actually very well, takes more skill than it would to play a guitar well. I, I I've always said that, and I don't know why, but I feel like at the beginner's level, the bass is like the easiest one. So I always feel like people get to the beginner stage on bass, think they're learning a bunch, and then they just never learn anymore on the bass. So they never felt like they needed the lessons in the first place, and then maybe they get stuck in kind of a a circular rut that they yeah, can't get it, out there's, of. Yeah, there's more, you know, bass is one of those overlooked deals. I mean, a good bass player will make a band sound so much better. Bingo. You, know? you think about, I was watching a thing on YouTube a while ago about uh, the main riff in Back in Black. Yep. You know, it's like uh, E, D, and A on the guitar, mm-hmm. you know, and then the fill. Well, the bass player... Um, and you think you're just gonna, he's going to play the root notes only. Yep. Well, he actually, when they go to the A chord, he plays the C sharp. He plays the third. And that colors that when the guitar plays, it gives it a major chord sound. Yep. And it, it makes it sound right. If the guy just plays an A, it sounds kind of bland. The song sounds right when he played the C sharp yeah, against the A. It's cool. That's, that's a very good point. I mean, there definitely is something that has to be said for the good bass players that are out there. Because there are plenty of them. And I, I see them everywhere. But yeah. they're, they're usually in at least one band. It's kind of like the drummer syndrome. Like, you find a drummer. He's in five bands. Like, why? Because that's it's just how it works. And same thing with bassists. It seems like the best ones are in a handful of bands. And right. you couldn't prime away from those bands if well, you had to. Uh, the Ben Tessman that I play with in uh, Patient Zero, he's in Slide on the side. Yep. He plays in Duro Divide with me. Yep. I know he plays uh, with some other guys occasionally. So he's he's always busy. Yeah. Know, which uh, is good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We played with Slide, actually, I want to say. Uh, might have even been at the Valor Ballroom show. Um, otherwise, that might have... That might have been Reload that played there. Yeah, I, um, I don't know. If, I can't remember their schedule. But he he only started playing with them a little while ago. I think right before our last drummer left is when he started playing with them. So. All right. Um, so we got the lessons down here. Uh, <laughs> I also kind of want to mention that uh, PV, he's a PV dealer down here. And I came down here and played a PVHP2 when I uh, came down oh, and yeah. saw you. And uh, that was... It's kind of kind of nice to see a guitar that rare out in the wild, and uh, even have the ability to play it. So I just want to say on the air, thank you for uh, letting me play the guitar at least. Right. But uh, you're you're also kind of a PV nut down here. Uh, you got a PV and GNL dealership down here. Yeah. Um. What's the what's the thing that kind of draws you, I guess, to like PV or GNL or any of these other companies that you might have here? Really, it's uh, it's one of those things where the the price and the product are really good. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, 
PVs, as you know, they're, they've always put out great stuff yeah, for the money. It's always my um, favorite. My, my PV JSX heads, I'll never get rid of at this yep, point. They're awesome. So uh, there's, there's another another endorsement. That's right, my amp too. <laughs> right. They uh, I think they kick complete butt, and um, you know, the innovation that PV applies to, and being that Hartley PV is still there every day. Yes. You know that speaks a lot to me because a lot of these companies anymore, um, it's it's a conglomeration that owns them, and the personal input's not there. Unless it's, you know, like you talk about companies like Rivera or something like that. You know, Paul Rivera Sr. is still there. Yep. Um, you know, but that that's become more of the exception than the rule, which I think kind of like, takes away from it a bit. You yes. Know? Uh, I, did you read that article recently? Maybe maybe it was Guitar World that put it out, but it was uh, they had talked to Hartley about, like, why he's even still there. And he said almost exactly what you said. Like, if I'm, if I'm here doing what I've set out to do from the beginning, then the product will remain at the highest level that we want it at. And it's not that if he leaves, it's going to go away, but it seems to be that, like, let's say Marshall, like it's not that Jim Marshall had a specific sound and tone that he went for, but it seems like Marshall hits the cookie cutter button quite a bit where they're like, I want something to sound kind of like this. Here's nine amps that sound like it. And then a few years later, they're like, well, it's pretty close to, uh, it sounds a lot like the JCM, but it's, you know, it's a little bit different, you know, and, I always felt like PV tried to steer farther away from that if they could. Yeah, they they were. I mean, he's got a great engineering team, yeah. you know, and he's really good about getting more out of those guys. I mean, there's stuff that they do that the general public doesn't really know about. Yeah. I mean, they see it every day, like all the amusement park rides and music and stuff. That's all PV. That's all PV that's, stuff. Yeah, so, PV is called Media Matrix. So and it's like all the buttons they're pushing on all the rides and the stuff? Whole, or, everything. Or, it's a like, whole system they run. So Disney like, World and stuff like that on it's crazy. So they run the electronics and everything there. Yeah. Are they like they're not building like the wheels for everything and stuff like no, that? No, no. You're no. talking about like the the computer control systems that, and everything. It's that, it's it's pretty intense. That's pretty cool. I, I guess I didn't I didn't realize that we may have spoken about that last time I was here. Right. But, but I didn't know that. Did uh did you you went to the PV factory? Yeah, I went to a dealer seminar down there. Yeah, uh, and, at the headquarters. And was that where you first found out they would do stuff like that? Well, uh, my original rep told me about it, and he he's he kind of wrote it off as if you even want to get involved in this, you have to take a class, blah blah blah. And I was like, uh, what's this about, you know? And then when I got down there to PV and, and Hartley explained it, and the other guys, I was uh, kind of taken aback. I'm like, this is really cool, you know, that they have these kind of capabilities. Yeah, I and mean, you think about the products that are on the uh, market right now that they put out. Yeah. They're kick butt. They're like cutting edge. Yes. What are they doing now? You know, how far are they, you know, how far ahead are these guys in their thinking? You know, exactly. that's incredible. It's it's pretty gnarly. I guess I mean, when everybody hears PV they they think initially amps. Right. Like almost always. And uh I mean secondary maybe guitars. Um, cause PV does make one hell of a guitar, yep, but a the, lot of- you, with PV, you know, that's another point. The, everybody uses a, a copy lathe to do their guitar necks. Now PV did it first. Yep. You know, I mean, think about it. Those guys were like the mass production, like gurus. Oh you yeah. Know? So speaking of PV guitars, uh, you had a guitar in here that was, let's see, it's a PV AT 200 and it's got a, an auto tuning function on it that, that you were showing me earlier. That was, that was pretty gnarly. Can you maybe like uh, explain a little bit, like just kind of for the people that are listening, like about the guitar? Cause yeah, it- sure. It's it's basically it looks like any other electric guitar. Um, it's got two pickups in it and everything, and it's got the switch and the volume and tone knobs. Yeah. The uh, the volume knob is actually uh, your tuner. When you strum the strings, um, it'll and you hit that knob, it'll put everything into like standard tuning. You know, the computer processes the the signal and changes it, so what you hear through the amp is actually in tune, even though. 
the guitar is not in tune. Yeah. So there's nothing mechanical like a Gibson robot tuner. It's yeah. not like that. So it's not actually it's not actually turning the tuners um, inside the guitar or on top anywhere. It's it's a computer that's taking the sound right. and, and correcting the pitch. It's correcting the pitch yep. for you. That's actually pretty gnarly because. I mean, I was I was playing with it here, and it wasn't plugged in, and I'm like, I don't know if this thing, is it not work? Like, right, right. Like, and then you plug it in, and it's like, oh, it's got, okay, so it makes sense that it's got to be plugged in, and then you turn it down, and it's like, oh, it's still out of tune, even though when it comes through the amp, it's in tune. Right. And that was that was a pretty gnarly thing, so that was one of those, like, kind of things. I mean, every guitar company tries some, some sort of innovation, I guess, and it obviously it didn't stick, otherwise you'd see one in every guitar. But, right, right. But uh, it is it is kind of a neat little feature. I uh, As of recently, as of the last few years, I've become a pretty big PV fan, so just seeing that kind of stuff is, is kind of neat. Yeah, and, you know, that's they've always been really good about, like, being at the cutting edge of the market. Sometimes, you know, it it, it it's detrimental you know where it's too far ahead of the market yeah you know and sometimes it's really cool but you they're old drums the uh what are they, the rota pros yep they were uh radial pros that's what they were alex van halen used them okay. they sound wicked good anybody that knows them thinks they're the coolest thing ever yeah and you know hartley said i lost money on drums it wasn't even worth it but they are like people talk about them to this day how kick-ass they were you know, I don't know if I've ever seen a PV drum set that wasn't just like an entry level one. You yeah, know? they did some really cool. The shells were really weird looking. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they actually have a really nice uh, tone to them and everything. And they they go for some serious money now. Yeah, I I guess I like I said I never even I haven't looked too hard for one, but I haven't seen one. And it's always kind of funny to search PV stuff and just find what's out there. And just because I like. Just because I enjoy it so much, it's just like, oh, someone's got a PV guitar stand for ten dollars. I kind of want it. It's yeah. Like, what? Like, why? What's going to make this right? Any well, better? It's a guitar stand. It's, you know? yeah, no, it's not certain be... certain products are going to be what they are, but yep. you know, there's a, the, the 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 thought and craftsmanship in some of the stuff they do is super cool. Yeah. You know? So, uh, so you definitely like the PV stuff, but like, is there any other kind of stuff like uh, you are definitely partial to? Other well, yeah. I mean, the GNLs were another thing. I I talked to uh, years ago. I was chatting with uh, Mick Thompson, and and I asked him, you know, what about G and L? You know, because at the time we were both talking about Fenders, were you know Malmsteen type stuff or whatever. Yeah. Yay, you know. Yeah. And uh, I goes, well, what is G and L like? He's he's like straight up, they're fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. I'm like really. And then here years later, I was at the shop, and one of my reps um, that helps with me with Alvarez and everything. He, uh, I went out to his like car with him, and and I went to throw the guitar in for him, and I saw a G and L case, and I literally like hit him in the shoulder with the back of my hand. I'm like. Bill, you didn't tell me you did GNL, you know? <laughs> so let's go back inside, you know? And I had a whole conversation with that. And, yep. you know, GNL is like one of those companies, too. It's 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 Leo Fender, yep. you know, from 1980 until his death. Like, mm-hmm. what can he come up with? You know, yep. the original Fender designs were cool. Yes. But, you know, you take uh, that engineering mindset and apply it to that years later with experience and you get this way cool product better yeah. pickups better bridges everything. yeah because that was like the first the first thing i noticed uh the pickups some of them the single coils they ended up with those offset single coils that would uh decrease what a 60 cycle hum it is I think. yeah well, the z coil pickups actually have yep. they they humbug they sound like a single coil but yep. they're that was his last pickup design allegedly they were a really cool take on you know they do them on the comanche and the asat z3 yep. they're a great sounding uh single coil type pickup but they don't hum yeah. you know uh, was the bridge was another one. Uh, I want to say maybe like uh, they got an ASAT, which is like a Telecaster, right? And I saw a bridge on one of those that was a little bit different. I couldn't, I can't remember off the top of my head what was different about it. They have the GNL like dual. Uh, it's the uh, there's got a couple bridges, but that's the uh, saddle lock bridge on yeah. the, most of their fixed bridges. It's the big 
big chrome deal and mm-hmm. you can actually lock the saddles in place so they don't right. move and yep. everything. Those are kick butt. And then their vibratos are my favorite. Yeah. Those are the dual Falcon vibratos. Yeah. You can do all the Floyd stuff with them, mm-hmm. but never worry about your nut or anything. They actually stay in tune pretty well. Yeah. There's no, no routing on it then either. Well, yeah, you can. Um, I mean, it's routed like your typical yeah. bridge would be. So you've got the rear cavity and everything yep. and the springs and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to ca- account for the bridge plate and all that. But, uh, I recently took one of my buddy blaze guitars and put a uh, dual Falcon vibrato in it Yeah. to replace the Floyd, you know, Floyd's, I played them all my life, but yeah. you know, this bridge, you know, stock from the factory weighs as much as anything I've upgraded. Yeah. You know, and it cost me like a hundred bucks, you know, it's awesome. I could never, I could never get too used to a Floyd and I, I don't know why I just couldn't, I, I don't, it's maybe a little bit, it was the setup. I mean, there's, yeah. there's definitely a learning curve on there and I just, yep. I don't have the, I, mean, I like to say I don't have the time. It's not like I don't, but uh, I don't know. I just don't want to spend the time messing around with it when I'm so busy with other things, well, I guess. A lot of times I just block them anymore, you know, because I play rhythm so much. Yep. You know, with Transic and, you know, especially with Patient Zero, mm-hmm. I do vocals and stuff, and there's no time to worry about that. And I don't want to break a string and have my guitar go out of tune. Yeah. Oh, so I'll, I'll block it with a screw, you know, and then that way I'm transferring energy into the body mm-hmm. you know and if a string breaks I'm fine you know I can still finish the song as long as it's not like exactly. my low string or something exactly you know? yeah so um you, you got three bands like let's let's throw a little shout out to somebody here you got anybody you want to like maybe say hi to uh any other bands you want to shout out to band members anything like that? well say hi to all my buddies you know and Patient Zero, Ben and Nick yeah the funky Colt Medina and <laughs> BFT Ben Tessman um Eric Sean and Josh from from Transic, of course. You know the guys yep. in Duro Divide, Charlie and Dave. I've already mentioned Ben, so I won't mention him again. Yep. But uh, those guys and and anyone who's listening that you know we've played with by you know all means, this is cool. Dom from uh, Crazy One Promotions. Oh yeah, uh, Dom lives around around this time around Perry. Somewhere. Yeah, he lives about three blocks from the shop. So that's pretty cool. Let's, let's talk a little bit about Dom. He does a little bit of promoting. Oh, I would say a little bit, but he does a lot of promoting. He uh, set, yeah. sets up shows for different areas. Uh, Boggs Hole Avenue Tavern. Yeah, he does a lot Moines, of the monthly shows. At, yeah, he'd do one monthly show every year. Uh, like I want to say, last year Three Finger Betty did a handful of them. Uh, we haven't had any of the ske- we have, haven't had the schedule to do it this year. I mean, I think we've only played Boggs once this year, even which is which yeah. is pretty rare for us. Cause, yeah, we haven't, and that's crazy because we we used to play it all the time. I think we played New Year's Eve, and that was it. Yeah, you know, we just we've been kind of off, you know, trying to figure things out. Exactly, so. but yeah, uh, Crazy One Promotions. That's uh, that's. Uh, Dominic Derringer, that's what he's he does for uh, other bands to help them out. He he promotes them. He's, he usually posts shows that he's looking for bands to fill. And it's not necessarily like a first-come, first-serve basis, but it kind of is because he, he's willing to give every almost every band a chance. Yeah, he's, like, he's great about that, I mean, you know. I mean, he'll try his best to mix uh, punk bands in with, with metal bands that, that somewhat kind of fit together, so at least it's not like a really brash conflict of interest. Right, you right. Know? So he, he does a pretty good job of it, and... Uh, he does have Facebook out there. He's got uh, Instagram. He's got Twitter. Uh, a lot of his shows that he promotes, I do know he takes video footage and throws it on there. So there might, I mean, he might even have video footage of you somewhere on there. Yeah, he does. I'm sure. Yeah. You know. So um, you have a Facebook for the shop here, correct? Yes, I do. All right. That's uh, if someone wanted to go on Facebook and just search for it, is it, just, is it BRG Music? BRG Music of Perry. Of Perry. You know? Yeah, absolutely. All right. We have a website too, uh, brgmusicofperry.com. Yep. I typically I found that the reverb site moves more, so I'm yeah. more up to date on what's there. But you, my contact information is on Facebook yeah, and on uh, 
our website as well. So yeah, totally understandable with the reverb thing. I I do my fair share of checking reverb. I mean, case in point, that's how we ran it's, into it's each great. other. It's great. I I can't believe I you know. It was funny because I set up my reverb page a long time ago and yep. nothing was moving. Mm-hmm. I had a Marshall mode four and I love the amp. Oh, that's I had, sweet. I had like f- I, one time I had like three of them, right? Oh, wow. And uh, I was using it and I was like, I don't need three of these. So I put it up for sale on reverb, sold that, and then the floodgates opened. Like yeah. I started selling a bunch of stuff. Yeah, that's, so it's been great. That's insane. Yeah, the uh, I've always wanted to try a mode four. I never actually have. It's It's been one of the few Marshall amps I've wanted to get my hands on. I've, I've heard mostly mostly only good things about it some people say there's like an odd learning curve to it because it's not exactly like your normal style of an amp i guess no it's 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 pretty uh, like there's you know the four channels obviously channels channel one and two is like clean and then your marshall 800 modded yeah. kind of sound and then three and four i i don't think i ever used channel three four was like a sick like ultra modern heavy bass high gain yeah kind of sound too which i'd use occasionally but i typically just use the first two channels yeah but they were they're great for what they are you know 350 watts you can keep up with two beds you know oh, don't yeah. worry about it so uh you got you got two shows coming up do you know if you got any shows coming up with uh dirt road divide up anytime soon december 1st we're playing for the irca and osceola you know so that's oh, that's, that's cool. gonna be yeah that'd be a pretty fun little deal we'll do um That'll be, that's the only thing we have in the books there. And then there's another show coming up here uh, early next year that I'm going to keep quiet about yeah. for uh, for transit and whatnot. But yep. uh, we'll announce that here in the next couple of weeks. All right. So uh, if you want to make sure you find that one, you better look up Transig online. Yep. Um, he's got the Facebook page. He's got a Facebook and, yep. page for that as well. So uh, just search for Transig online. Uh, we had somebody walk into the shop here. Oh. He's a regular. He he's coming to pick up a couple of Gibsons. I worked on for him. So all right, so we're good to go for just a little bit because we're getting close. We got a we got a little over a half an hour under our belt here, and uh, let's see. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about while uh, while I'm still here? We covered. Uh, got you online for the shop. Yep. You got the bands. Yep. We got lessons here. Yep. You got the reverb page. I will post all this stuff in the description section. Very so if cool. anybody wants to go back through and look for it, or even if you don't want to go search yourself, I'll do all the, I'll do all the legwork for it. That'd be awesome. And it, it'll all be there. So, uh, uh, I'm going to say thanks once again, uh, to Ben for doing a podcast with me because the first couple have been the hardest ones to, to start out with. And I'm, I'm just trying to shed light on people doing good things in the, in the music world. Um, you know, from one musician and I guess a uh, guitar lesson. I teach too, but it's uh, it's up in Humboldt, and I, I'm now in the process of uh, my local guitar shop is is going to close, so I need to oh transition into doing it on my own, which yep. is going to be kind of a difficult. It's thing. A t- it's a tough business, you know. There are a lot of shops come and go. Yeah, you know, and, so and and I I know the guys that give lessons uh, in the town north and south of me, and they're all really good people and. And I mean, if I don't have the time to do it, or if I don't have a space to do it, I'm I'm more than willing to send my students to them because yep. I mean, there's no reason someone shouldn't learn the guitar if they want to learn the guitar. Right, right. It's not you know we're all sharing knowledge. It's not a contest. Exactly, you know? exactly. So. Um, real big fan of using YouTube for for the lessons too. Um, I'm you know if 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 I teach something in a certain way and someone goes and looks it up on YouTube, that's initiative, man. I mean, I'm I'm all for you going. Yeah, to- I'd rather you come to me and say, hey, well, they don't play it here, this way, and then you know. You, it makes you think about, okay, if they're playing it there, why are they doing that? And then you can use that as a teaching moment. Here's, there's actually, you know, six places on the guitar to play this one E, and you can yep. show them that. You know? Exactly. So. Yeah. So it's it's all a matter of perspective, and sometimes you just need to see both sides of the coin first. You know, it's so it's 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 pretty nice deal being able to give that 
sort of a service to your back to your community because when I was growing up, it was the infantile stage of the internet. There were some things online, but not not to the tune of what it was right. now. So right. if you wanted to learn guitar, there was there's three dudes dressed in goofy hats with sunglasses on inside, and they're like, "I don't teach you blues guitar, but do ba do do ba do do ba do." Or jazz lessons. Yep. I, I actually, you know, I I'm old enough that the internet wasn't even a thing until I was just getting into college. Yeah. You know, so it was all guitar magazines for us, especially where I grew up, you know, I grew up in a town of 500 people Yeah. and there just wasn't resource. Exactly. You know, videos, VHS, you know, tapes of like my favorite players they used to sell and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, I can't imagine starting now where kids have this advantage of actually seeing the artist play, mm-hmm. what they're trying to learn. That's oh, a big difference. Yeah. You know? it's, it's insane. Uh, when it comes down to like, uh, being in a small town and like you said you had magazines for the most part you started getting maybe did you buy any of the vhs lessons or anything like that yeah i actually bought uh, i had the marty freeman melodic control vhs and we had like a some my dad got some sampler you know for shipping and handling that was actually really cool it had like cuts of all the lessons like Paul Gilbert, Ingve Malmsteen, all these other guys and steve morris and whatnot it was really cool like reh at the time was the big publisher for that kind of stuff you know so that was cool and uh really just guitar magazines were the biggest thing all the tabs yeah there was one called guitar school years ago all right which was the bomb i mean they'd have like six transcriptions and the whole magazine was like basically a couple articles and then songs oh that's that's pretty right i I feel like i came in like at the end of the magazine era because because the magazines kind of died off as the internet sort of killed it off yep and i mean like guitar world would even try and entice people with like Buy this on the newsstand and, and get a hold. Absolutely. we got more people in the shop. I'm going to take care of this real quick. Yeah, that's fine. All right, we're back. He had to take care of some customers at the shop here. But uh, we were talking about guitar magazines, how I kind of came in a little late to the guitar magazine scene. And it seemed like they all kind of died out um, before I got a chance to get into it too much. And they like they had DVDs with them sometimes, and it, it seemed like they were trying to p- get close to what was gonna start happening on the internet but just wasn't quite there because like ultimate guitar was still kind of in its infancy stage and that was kind of the place to go to look up some tabs if you want to look look up your tabs when you first started out so but uh i mean as far as guitars and magazines go that's kind of a way of the past and and it's justifiable in a sense just because of youtube and right it's it's uh there is something to say for having all of that on youtube but if you don't have somebody trying to direct you as to where to go um to find what you need to find and the steps to take to learn it that's kind of usually the difficult part like would you not agree yeah there's a you know you can pick a lot of stuff up on your own but sometimes explanations uh they need a little more of a personal touch yeah and it takes time for things to sink in that's one thing even with the guitar magazines years ago there was a a number of them you know i mentioned guitar school there's guitar world which is still around ironically but i get i get i have a subscription to it but it's believe me it's a shadow of its former self as far as thickness and everything you know content's not there um because everything's online Mm-hmm. But even even within those, you know, those different magazines, you know, a tab can be incorrect, you know, and those things. Exactly. Sitting down and having someone with experience like walk you through like why why 
you know, why would you play that there? You know, exactly. Cause a lot of times there's, I've looked at things and like, they, they make no sense as far as where they're played in the tab yep. versus where they'd be played in a song. If you're actually stream of consciousness playing through an idea, yes. it makes no sense to do this weird move or play something in a certain way. Yeah, you know? exactly. Skip a handful of strings, go halfway up the neck and play this here when you could have just, it's right in position yeah, started you know, or something somewhere like else and yep. done it. Yeah. Yep. Totally. So, I mean, that would be probably the, the biggest hurdle I see a lot of people was they, they can come in with a lot of knowledge, but no idea how to put it all together. I right. guess would be a good, good. And having someone riding your, riding your ass about, you know, doing the work, yeah. usually it, it can help some people. You it, know, it, I was always personally very motivated to do it. Exactly. Cause I was like, ah, I can be better at this, you yes, know? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but some people, some people just, they, they get, they're shy or whatever. They don't, they it, don't, they need someone to push them. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah. It helps. It does help. Um, we were talking, I was listening to you talk to the customer about doing weekly lessons. Yeah. And that's that's something that I feel like is uh, almost a definite must for some people. Because if you, when I started doing lessons, I, I would do lessons with some people every other week because they wanted another week to practice because right. they either didn't have the time or they wanted to absorb right. it. And sometimes you find that if you go two weeks, it's almost too long because now they've spent too much time with a concept or they've overmarried themselves. Or to they it. haven't practiced because it, they don't it, have to. There's not that, it, that yeah, pressure to do exactly, so. Exactly. Cause know? I have to learn this by next week. So, right. so I have run into a couple of those issues, but I definitely will have to say I've been guilty of that myself. If somebody gives me a little bit of leeway, I'm, you know, oh, give me dude, an inch, I'll yeah. go for a mile. Procrastinate. So. And, yeah. Procrastinate. Yeah. Procrastinate. <laughs> I'm, I'm, just going back to school is, is teaching me that that's, almost not an option most right but it's it's really not in life i mean you can't wait until the last minute being proactive about certain things is definitely definitely to your uh, advantage you know exactly and if you don't prepare for something it's hard to say that you're it would be hard for me to say that i'm proud of the performance i gave if i was ill prepared for something right right i mean you do you have to get real lucky exactly and maybe some of that comes back on the person like maybe beating themselves up more than anybody else would in the first place so maybe that would be like one of the things or like someone like me that doesn't need someone to push me to play guitar all the time just for the simple fact that I enjoy it and I have the drive to because I will beat myself up if I mess up a song playing it live yep. way harder than anybody else yep. trying to nag on me. So it's it's one of those types of deals. Yeah. It's funny, though. As I get older, you know, it's, it's you laugh it off more than you do when Ex- you're younger. You exactly. Know? Like, oh, yeah, I can't believe I missed that, you know. Yeah, ex- <laughs> yeah you, I, and I'm not one to, like, lose my temper so much because I've, over the years, learned not to do that. It there's just no benefit for it. Nope. But but even even so, I still just want to pull out what hair I have left. Uh, right. I, like after the show is over, and and it's like you said, you play with the band a handful of times. It's you realize that it's not the end of the world. Um, the forty people in the bar you're playing and don't don't care too much. Or yep. you know, I I have played a couple shows in front of you know a few hundred people and and messed up, and that's a little bit more embarrassing. Especially when people come up and tell you you did a great job after the show, and it, you just want to be like, "Oh, really? Like, are you are you making fun of me?" Like, but you know they're not. They're they're being very sincere about it. But yep, it, it's, yep. It's the whole you're beating yourself up way harder than anybody else ever would. Absolutely. And, I mean, you can come off stage, and if you have a bad show, like you feel like the set wasn't what you thought it was would be, you know, and you're upset with yourself. It, it doesn't behoove you to when someone throws you a compliment to be like oh that fucking sucked yeah. that's not a good way to be i mean they're they're paying you a compliment exactly you know? it's like you take it graciously and just say thank you you know and i feel maybe uh, as musicians that we're we're all a little bit shy i guess as musicians anyways we're all kind of a little bit antisocial to some extent yeah and that's absolutely. kind of why maybe why we are musicians in the first place but uh that's definitely a lesson i had to learn was if somebody gives you a compliment you 
should graciously accept it and move on um regardless of whether or not you uh quote believe them or uh, or not you know but it's it's if somebody wouldn't do that if they didn't want to you know and they're doing it for a purpose and whether or not it's for their own personal validation or to actually tell you that they thought you did a good job because they did a good job you know it's it's the gesture is still there and yeah and you know it's different for like you know you you know from experience too if if like someone you've never met who watched you play came comes up and pays you a compliment that's one thing, right? Yep. And you, of course, you accept it graciously. If someone you know that you play with mm-hmm. and have known for years, they pay you a compliment, and you can always fire back. Well, you know, and yeah. you guys can get into the the shop talk exactly of, of how the how the set really went in your mind, you know, that's which great. is always fun. That's too, a you know? great analogy. That yeah. that's that's great. I I definitely think that uh, something has to be said for uh, just being as positive as you can as a musician, because yeah. I feel like positivity is not always. Uh, not always our strong suits as musicians or as artists in general. Yeah, I mean, the, a lot of a lot of times you hear the the terms like "so and so sucks" and other stuff like that getting yeah. thrown around. There's no reason to be that way. No, and it's it's really tough because um, it's one thing to do it in public; it's pretty foul. It's but if you do it in private, it still breeds a little bit of discontent. Yeah, and I feel like that the ripples of that stone in that pond go a lot farther than people think they yeah, do. They, Keep, I think they carry their way into your behavior and everything exact, and how you interact with people in general. Bingo. You know? And you I've, know. I've, I've found, I found a little bit of that in the music scene, but I'm happy to say I, I try to steer clear of that as much as possible, which is one reason I kind of started this podcast. And another reason I try to find people that are you know positive to talk about music because, right. um, you know, musicians work hard. I mean, put in 20 hours, play an hour you know or so you know there's there's probably a ratio everyone's come up with but it's i mean we i played a one-off show this summer and i put in five different practices each practice being about an hour or so that doesn't count how much i practice before all these rehearsals as a band and that was just to play one show for my hometown with a bunch of musicians from the area and we just played five or six songs you know we spent probably 15 to 20 hours each practicing before we even got on the stage you know so there's something to be said. Uh, if somebody pays you that compliment, just just kind of go with it. Right. If, if you're right. socially awkward, because it's it does take a lot even just to go up to somebody and give them a compliment. I mean. Yeah, it does. And, you know, the people that come to the shows and stuff, a lot of metalheads, they're not exactly you know the most social people either. I never was. You know, I, going up to someone who just came off stage and saying something to them, that takes a lot. You know, and that's that's there's something to be said for that for I, sure. Yeah, you know? exactly. And I mean, it's also maybe there's a. I feel like there might be like an age difference too. Like I went to a Jake Shimabukuru concert this weekend. He plays oh, yeah, plays yeah. ukulele. Oh yeah. And I and I met him uh, in the lobby, and I just you know said hi and thanks for coming. And you know his music's great, and I appreciate it. You give you give it the short stick, and and away I go. And all of a sudden, the next person, there's four people with their phones out, and they just want that picture for the Facebook wall. And yeah. I I also I don't know maybe it's a generation gap, and I that I don't quite understand, but. Uh, I used to do a little bit of that, and I started steering clear of it because um, I, I actually ran into Chris Thiele. He plays mandolin. He's on a, whatever a Prairie Home Companion is called now, uh, like Hello From Here or something like that. It's an NPR TV or a radio show. So I met him at a show, and I didn't have a phone with me to take right. a picture. And he's like, that's cool because this, this is for you, and right. you, you'll always have this, and you know that. So right. he put, put things into perspective. So Yeah, I've met, I, you know, I've met, over the years I've met a lot of people, mm-hmm. you know, and there's, I don't have photographic proof of you know talking to Paul Bustaff yeah. from Slayer or something like that, yeah. you know, and a lot of these people that I've, I've had the pleasure of hanging out with, you know, 
it, it's just a personal thing. It's not like a, look at me. I know this famous person. I'm on Instagram type deal. Mm-hmm. You know, it's you know they're human beings too. You exactly. Know, you got to respect their 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 need for real human contact. You know, someone to just chat with. Exactly. It makes a big difference. Yeah, I think. So, uh, I mean, having having said all of that, um, we'd be probably scraping the bottom of the popularity bucket as far as musicians, uh, yeah. <laughs> because we're we're just in Iowa. But yeah, come out and say hi to us at a show. I mean, we will take the take the compliments in stride, and we'll be. <laughs> I'd be happy to talk to anybody after a show sometimes. Absolutely, absolutely. Us, I mean, there's some shows you go in, not a single person says a word to you. You play the show and you leave. And not a single person says a word to you. Yep. And and for somebody that I mean, you've probably drive a fair distance to all your shows, half hour to an hour to yeah. most of them. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, I'm I'm pulling an hour plus to most of my shows, so it's kind of makes for a long day if you're going to drive a couple hours and yeah. nobody's going to talk to you at the show yeah. or whatever. It leaves a weird weird feeling about you too, you know, it, when it, something like that happens. It's a little eerie. You know? Yeah. So uh, yeah, I just like I want to say thanks once again uh, for letting me come in your shop do a do a podcast in your shop with you uh i mean this is kind of a traveling podcast as of as of so far so finding a location to do it is half the battle and then finding someone to do it with is the other half so i'm glad i found a good person to do the podcast let's shake your hand here yeah but uh we'll uh put links to all of his bands and his uh shop brg music in the description section description section of the post here uh, on youtube or soundcloud wherever you're listening to it and uh I'm going to say goodbye, so uh, we'll check you later. Yep, all i got to say is buy our guitars, <laughs> take our lessons, watch our bands. Uh, yes, it. appreciate it, guys. Yeah, thanks, guys. All right, episode three is done, but before you fast forward to the end of this, let's uh, let's discuss one more thing. I was talking with Ben after, uh, after I packed up all the equipment. He wanted to give one more shout-out to Buddy Blaze Guitars. It's an artist and a... Uh, as far as I know, he yeah, builds his own guitars, it looks like. I've uh, been looking at some of his stuff on Facebook today. It's uh, it's pretty awesome. He's got got some guitars online. He also looks like he plays guitar. And uh, Ben Ben is apparently pretty good friends with him, so he wanted me to uh, make sure I got a shout-out to Buddy Blaze Guitars. So uh, this is going to conclude Episode 3. I want to let everybody know that I do have some shows coming up. This weekend I have a show with Unity on October 6th. That's a Saturday. We're playing at Gabe's in Iowa City. And I also have a show with Three Finger Betty coming up. And that is Saturday, uh, October 13th. We have a show and it's a a house show. So if you want to uh, go to that one, you'll have to get in contact with someone from the band and and that'll be your best bet to uh, find the attendance to that location. But uh, otherwise, thanks everybody for tuning in for episode three. Uh, thanks again to my guest, Ben Christopher. Uh, I was really happy to branch out and go a little out of my comfort zone and talk to somebody that I, I'm, I might not have been so familiar with. And uh, maybe, you know, now you guys are familiar with him too. So make sure you come out to shows and say hi to us. Uh, if you're going to any shows this weekend, let me know what they are. You can tweet me at Audible Farm on Twitter. And uh, make sure you like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram. Do the subscribe thing to YouTube. I mean, I mean, hit them all, everybody. But, uh, yeah, thanks again. Until next week, I really appreciate everybody tuning in. We'll catch you next time.